0: Welcome to Radio BX, the podcast of the Building Energy Exchange, where we discuss sustainability and energy efficiency in the built environment. A natural extension of our core mission to foster dialogue among the entire community that impacts the performance of buildings, Radio BX is made possible through the generous support of our sponsor, National Grid. So stay engaged and join the conversation each month with some of the most compelling people in our field. Hello and welcome to Radio BX. I am your host, Yatsa Frank. Our guest today hails from the Center for Active Design, the nonprofit famous for the active design guidelines and other work that connects the design community with strategies that have a demonstrable impact on human health. Today, the Center for Active Design is most well known for administering Fitwell, probably the most popular healthy building certification standard in the world. For those that don't know, FitWell evaluates the impact of buildings and communities on human health, and it treats health in the holistic sense, meaning not just physical health but also mental wellness and social well-being, and the focus is on the health of the whole community, not just the occupants of the building in question. FitWell is able to do this because it has spent several years building a database of thousands of relevant public health studies, studies that indicate the impact of a huge variety of design strategies on human health. weights both the robustness of each study and the impact of the strategy in question on communities in order to determine how much credit a particular measure receives within the certification standard i describe all this in some detail so you can begin to understand how complicated this is and how critical the person is that oversees this research infrastructure and that person is our guest today sarah kararat sarah is the director of applied research at the center for active design She received a Bachelor of Arts from Hamilton College with a focus in public policy and a master's in public health from Columbia University. Prior to her five-plus years at the Center for Active Design, she was at the Partnership for a Healthier America and speaks regularly on public health and the built environment. Sarah, welcome to Radio BX.
1: Thanks so much. Excited to be here.
0: So, Sarah, I want to kind of, uh, I want to start talking a little bit about your career and kind of how you came to the place you're at now. Tell us sort of what your focus on was when you studied in school and how that sort of led to the partnership and eventually CFAD.
1: Yeah, definitely. So it was a little bit of a journey that I steadily inched me closer and closer to focusing on the intersection between public health and the built environment. Um, When I went into undergrad, I sort of knew vaguely I wanted to focus on some sort of societal, systemic issue, had no idea what societal or systemic issue that was. um, And this sort of Indecision led me to major in public policy, mainly because it combined classes in economics, philosophy, and government. So I didn't really have to choose. I could just dabble <laughs> in a little bit of everything, um, which is sort of where I was at at that time. Um, and one of the kind of first steps that led me to focusing on the health and public health space is um, I had a public policy course that where we were looking at the role of healthcare systems and how that impacted people's life outcomes and um, health outcomes in different um, internationally. So in um, different contexts, comparing the United States to other countries. Um, and this was also right in the middle when I was taking this course. It was right in the midst of Obamacare debate. So felt very mm. relevant, um, kind of piqued my interest. Um, and then also at the same time, during summers, I had been in, interning at different communications firms learning about the power that communications has to translate complex topics for um, a general audience. So upon graduation, sort of was looking for opportunities to bring those two interests together, health um, and communications, landed a job at the Partnership for Healthier America, and that was where I first learned about the Center for Active Design. Um, So Partnership for a Healthier America was an organization that was really focused on taking, um, working with the private sector to create partnerships that um, were designed to fight childhood obesity, which was the main focus um, at that time of, um, of the organization, partnered with the Obama administration to really make that happen and one of our partners happened to be the center for active design i remember learning about the organization and um being it was kind of like something clicked i was realizing okay like a lot of what we talk about at the partnership for healthier america was about um you know food deserts and um, how the location of grocery stores is so important but seeing sort of how the center for active design had brought all of that together through the active design guidelines into one standard that was really compelling to me. Um, And ultimately it led me to decide to go to public health school, realized I wanted to be not just communicating about these issues, but also understanding the research behind them and understanding a little bit more about um, how certain interventions within the built environment could really have a measurable impact. So led me to graduate school. And from there, I was really during that time was really focused on the role that the built environment played within public health. And that led me to CFAD. And I was lucky enough to um, land a fellowship with the Center for Active Design and I've been there ever since. So that's sort of the the initial story. That's
0: great. And how would you describe your role currently at at the center?
1: Yeah, so I think my role um, is really focused on taking the public health research and translating that into the solutions that are found, not only in FitWell, but then also um, in our thought leadership work to kind of drive the conversation forward and really be thinking critically about how not only the FitWell standard, but also other efforts can be um, designed in a way to really push, move the needle forward, incremental change. um, And also um, one thing that I really love about my, my role is a lot of it is just having conversations with different stakeholders. Um, so working with stakeholders, not only from the research community and the academic side of things, but then also those who are actually implementing these, um, these measures throughout the built environment. So I think that's something that CFAD does really well um, in being sort of in the middle of that conversation.
0: One of the things that's sort of really interesting about the position that the center sits in and, 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 of, and of course yourself sit in, is that the the public health community and the built built industry, the built environment industries, the, is very the, you know both very diverse in terms of the backgrounds of the people um, that might be in different roles that you have to engage with, um, and both really have their own language. And so, what what do you think? What's the sort of hardest thing about translating between the sort of public health research side of your brain and You know the the building industry which composes everyone from architects to facility managers and sort of everyone in between
1: yeah that's a really great question i would say the hardest piece is really figuring out the right way to say something um, and the language to use because everyone might be talking about the same element but be saying it in a slightly different or more nuanced way Um, and i would also say is Finding a way to, specifically with public health research, a lot of times it will, the, the studies that we're looking at might be context specific. So how we can take something that is, is uh, been proven in one context and figure out a way to um, see how it could be applied in a, in a different context. So, um, for example. Um, We don't work in schools, but there's a lot of research around um, kind of daylighting it within um, school environments and how that uh, improves productivity and also um, can enhance outcomes, focus, all of those elements. Um, But how can we kind of translate those findings um, into how they should be implemented within a residential or a um, workplace environment and add that to not disregard those findings because they are still important, just um, kind of translate them in a way that is meaningful.
0: Yeah. It occurs to me that, you know, you mentioning translated between schools and homes and offices, and now our homes are our offices. And so to what extent has COVID led you to have to, like, well, what does is, what is daylighting mean now for the home if you're going to spend all day there at a desk? Have you, have you had to kind of grapple with that at all?
1: Exactly. I think a lot of what we've been thinking about at the center recently has been um, what is the kind of future of the workplace and how it has that shift um, kind of impacted how we're using spaces. And I think one of the kind of pieces that's come through is there needs to be a level of flexibility in how we um occupy our spaces and therefore the standards that that are set for these spaces because people are using them in different ways and we're continuing to learn I mean with daylighting we know that um with there are different needs when you're working versus when you're at home and relaxing you want different styles of of lighting so kind of Figuring out, and I don't know if we have the answer to this yet, but figuring out the uh, right way to, to implement that and provide more flexibility. I think that's really one of the conclusions that we've come to is these spaces need to be designed in a way that the occupants can have the power to um, mold the space in the way that they need to.
0: So all of this research that we're talking about, you know, as I described is sort of the foundation of FitWell, And I wonder, like, what are some examples of research within the standard that is sort of surprising to lay people, like things that might not be intuitive to the rest of us?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, since coming on with CFAD, I feel like I've even learned a ton. I think that a lot of times the built environment is viewed solely from sort of the physical health standpoint. But... The center does a great job of um, taking into account the social health, the mental health, and the physical health. Um, And one area that really surprised me initially was learning I've learned so much about indoor air quality. Um, It's an area that I knew about in school and sort of looked at lightly, but we've really delved into the ins and outs, understanding the engineering systems and um, the the different sides of it from an energy savings and health impact perspective Um, and discovering the role that IAQ has on mental health, I think um, has been really really surprising to me. um, And something that I know when we share with our users, they're like, wow, I've never thought about the role that indoor air quality would have on anxiety or stress or depression. But um, the kind of uh, consensus in the public health community um, when it comes to the research that's out there is that there is a connection between those two things. So that is one piece. And then another piece that comes more on the implementation side is the power of maintenance. So we've seen a ton of studies um, that we've put out some, and then also just in the general public health research, body that link maintenance to, uh, trust in the community, feelings of well-being, um, and, uh, stronger social capital. So one example that I really love is, um, a report that we put out in 2017, the assembly or 2018, maybe, um, the assembly civic design guidelines that found that litter is associated with, um, degraded trust in police. So that, Um, kind of connection there between uh, social cohesion, a feeling of just trust in your surroundings um, is really interesting. And then on a building perspective, we've seen um, in a report that we just came out with looking at data from uh, Quadril, which is a um, building uh, investor, they found that the connection between operation strategies, so things like uh, indoor air quality policy, green purchasing, integrated pest management was one of the leading um, associations with uh, net promoter scores, so tenant satisfaction. So tenants are really noticing these things. Um, And it might be something that's not thought of as like the most compelling element of a building, but it is uh, one piece that just keeps coming up over and over again as so important.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a new lobby. Or, you know, the things that most owner, you know.
1: It's not a capital improvement that feels like something we can really be excited and brag about, but it is something that people are really tuning into. But um, now you,
0: we know they can brag mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I, I love the example of the, the connection between, you know, people's trust in their local police force and litter. It's a really compelling kind of sense of how things like that, you know, really pervade your sense of the community as a whole, because of course the police are not, it's not their job to pick up the litter, <laughs> but yeah. it refle- you know, it, it just, it, you get this sense, do, pe- do, do the people running the show care about this place that exactly I live in? Exactly, like
1: that there's an investment in the community and sort of police are this proxy almost for that, that level of investment.
0: I mean, those are great examples of kind of in a way, the like holistic suite of outcomes that Fitwell sort of focuses on—it isn't just about physical health. Um, and it, it's a little superficial, but it sort of strikes me as interesting that on the on the climate side of thinking about how the built environment impacts all of these issues that we're all worried about, um, on the climate side, physical risk has been the thing that the community has been most easily able to understand, like my building is here and the water will be there as well. <laughs> and so this is a conflict and a risk for my asset. Um, and, and it's this sort of simple, tangible thing. Um, and the physical health portion is also the part <laughs> that feels tangible to people and easy to understand and is kind of like the, their, how they get their foot in the door And it's all of these other things with broad, broad impacts that are just much harder for us to um, kind of understand how they impact mental health, how they impact social well-being.
1: Yeah, it's like the tangibility of uh, the physical risk there.
0: One thing I I think it would be good for the audience to understand is maybe how FitWell is sort of different. Um, You know, a lot of people in our industry, you know, understand... um, certification systems like LEED, who have always had some element of, of health embedded in, in, um, in, in some of the credits, indoor air quality that you mentioned being sort of one of them. But how is the approach of FitWell sort of different at a fundamental level from standards like LEED?
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. So um, building on what you were uh, mentioning around physical risk, LEED and um, sort of thinking about the difference between lead and Fitwell, Fitwell's really focused on sort of that human-centric experience, the human risk almost, of um, how these buildings can uh, be designed in a way that uh, promotes the highest quality of life and um, for, for those people who are occupying them either as an employee or a, um, a tenant within a residential space, there's um, this centering of the human experience. And so Fitwell... With Fitwell, we're not just thinking about sort of the structure of the building, but also how people are interacting with those spaces. So the way Fitwell is designed is um, 12 sections, and each of those sections sort of leads the user through the building. So starting with the location, and then building access, um, and then moving on to the interior, the stairs, how those are accessed, um, and then really getting into the nitty-gritty of operations um, within those indoor environments. So even in that framing, the framing is about how a human would interact with that space. So I think um, even um, I would say Lead did such a great job of bringing health into the conversation as a really well-established certification system. And we've just been able to build on sort of that that entry point, um, thinking not only about um, sort of the elements where the physical aspects um, intersect with the health outcomes, so things like indoor air quality, where it is a little bit like there's the energy piece, and then also the um, uh, IAQ VOC um, emissions um, piece that are that uh, have a more natural relationship, I would say, um, and bring it bring it past that to think about um, elements that might not have that um, climate change lens. So things like emergency preparedness which I guess isn't a great example because it does have uh, alignment with um, climate change because flood risk, but um, uh, thinking about just that overarching concept of how a human uses the space.
0: We here at Building Energy Exchange were delighted that Fitwell sponsored the Daylight Hour campaign this year, which is our sort of annual social media campaign, trying to sort of connect people to the, the... both the energy and health benefits of daylighting in in office spaces. And I wonder if you could kind of describe the state of research behind that question, how access to daylight sort of impacts building occupants.
1: That was a really great event, and I think it gave us an opportunity too to do one of our favorite things, which was talk to stakeholders who are looking at daylighting from a variety of different perspectives. And the research within the daylighting spaces is really powerful because it it does show the relationship that access to daylight has from um, both a physical health and mental health perspective. And it, it kind of connects the two really clearly because the power of daylighting and having access to that from that human perspective is that it impacts the circadian rhythm. And circadian rhythm is sort of this connector between physical health and mental health because it regulates sleep. and if you're not sleeping well, then obviously that has a really detrimental impact on psychological well-being. So I really enjoy seeing that relationship. And it is something that the the research around daylighting makes super clear. And there's really interesting research around how daylighting can even impact healthcare recovery within healthcare settings. So there are studies that have Compared and contrasted patients who have access to daylight within their rooms while they're um, in in a healthcare setting versus those who don't, and the recovery time is significantly different. And that kind of level of impact is is just really profound. And the one another really inter- an interesting thing about daylighting is there are so many things to take into consideration when it comes to implementation. So as we talked about in the daylighting session over here at building energy exchange is that it's not the same across the board because obviously even thinking about North facing windows versus South facing windows versus East, West, that's a big consideration. The height of the building, the surroundings, it's one of the more complex Mm. areas of, of building, um, design and. It is also one that has a direct impact on energy as well. So it's this kind of convener of all of these different areas that you really need a variety of perspectives to to handle well. We know from a public health perspective it's important. It has an impact on both physical and mental health, but then how do you actually implement on it and do it in a successful way? Um, And we had a really interesting conversation during that session about operable shading. um, The public health research, Talks about how having uh, control over your environment is so important um, from an empowerment perspective. It it can promote that that sense of autonomy, but in other perspectives, there that can mess with the like very very delicate balance of. The way that a building's been designed f- to optimize daylight, so it's this uh, back and forth that is is really it brings out that the complexity
0: yeah the the example about um, the impact in healthcare sitting settings is is sort of doubly interesting in a way because you can also see how that directly translates to dollars so we're all you know the whole issue with healthcare is how expensive it is here in the United States and and with the, all the challenges that presents us as a society, and here's a measure that reduces the amount of time you're in the hospital, which we all know is incredibly expensive. Um, so it's a great it's a great example.
1: Yeah, and it's something too that impacts the the dollar value on both the uh, client side, so the patient, but then also for the health facility that can um, help people recover quicker and then use the bed for, for another patient. So it's one of the rare bringing together of the, the incentive there.
0: Right. So obviously kind of thinking beyond daylight to the, the broader massive set of, of research that's out there um, and which makes FitWell such a compelling standard. I'm curious what trends you're seeing sort of in the latest research or is there research happening now that you're like really eager to see the results of?
1: As you can imagine, a good deal of the public health space and the research over the past several years has been focused on COVID. And the impacts that COVID has had is continuing to have across the board, the health disparities um, that are only continuing to increase um, and and intensify. So that has brought to light a lot of new research around uh, the importance of mental health um, within um, this space not just in relationship to the built environment, but but broadly. And so the built environment um, space has definitely, mental health has become more of a focus area, which I think is really exciting for us to see because that has such an important value when it comes to how individuals and just society is engaging with the, the environment within which they live. So that's one area that um, is continuing to expand I think it's only going to to grow, especially as um, one kind of positive outcome of COVID is it's it's reduced some of the stigma and the conversation around mental health and has uh, helped people talk about it more openly. Um, so that is is definitely one area. And then another area that I'm finding really interesting is uh, this conversation around co-benefits. So when you're looking at one intervention, not just thinking about the one outcome you're interested in, but also other benefits that might be happening. And then on the flip side, externalities that need to be considered. So when it comes to co-benefits, one example is locating buildings outside of flood risk zones. So obviously from a physical health or from uh, just climate change sustainability side of things, we know that's important because flooding is increasing in regularity. This is important from an adaptation perspective and making sure that physical assets and structures aren't um, at risk of of experiencing flooding. But then also from a human health perspective, we know flooding uh, results in mold and moisture issues and uh, risk uh, of injury and disease. So thinking through how these two kind of sectors that oftentimes haven't been communicating as much as they can, can really team up and address these issues in a more holistic way. And then um, to address how we design and operate the built environment in a more strategic a strategic approach. So that's, that's another area that, I'm finding really interesting, and I think um, as the research around resilience continues to evolve, continues to uh, strengthen, that conversation is only going to become even more rich.
0: So looking ahead, um, you know, we're sort of witnessing the growth of ESG frameworks across the U.S. now, Um, and, you know, ESG is, you know, the environmental, social, and governance aspects of Of investment and you know this is a you know obviously an incredibly broad um, uh, set of frameworks Um, and health it seems to me kind of sits sort of in you know almost all three (laughs) has a little has a toe in in governance and a full foot maybe in both environmental and social Um, and I think most people understand pretty quickly that you're talking about environmental impacts and risk um, that you know things like carbon emissions Um, We can measure them, then we can reduce them. It's sort of simple and tangible. But then, you know, coming back to some of these subjects that are a little bit harder for people to grasp, when it comes to subjects that sort of reside like on a spectrum rather than having an absolute value like human health, like mental, you know, one's mental wellness, it's harder for people to sort of conceptualize how we measure the impact of these things. And I'm curious how you feel public health research can help us kind of convert what we know about that into sort of action-oriented frameworks like ESG reporting?
1: So one thing that Fitwell I think does really well in this realm is every strategy that's found within the standard is tied to specific health impact categories that were originally established by the CDC who and uh, the General Services Administration who originally created the standard in its original form. So each of those each strategy has a point value associated with it based on the impact and uh, the strength of the evidence uh, that's out there tying that intervention to these seven health impact categories which range from everything to from increasing physical activity to promoting occupant safety and so that the valuation there does a good job of translating the uh, kind of an abstract concept of health into a more quantifiable and tangible number which definitely when it comes to ESG is really valuable because it can help projects and portfolios really understand where their impact is on a broader perspective and the other area that I think is really valuable and is continuing to to grow is this ability to use standards like fitwell to, benchmark and better understand how your space or your portfolio of buildings is is performing against a concrete set of elements and see that change over time and understand, okay, this we really wanna be doing a better job to impact mental health. Right now, we're at sort of 60% of what we could be doing. How can we get to that 80% number? And again, I think, when it comes to ESG, being able to assign sort of that hard value is is really important. Then the last thing I'll say on this is, health is, is contextual. So every community has a different set of concerns, has a different set of needs. And I think, I mean, COVID has definitely brought that out, but just across the board, we sort of understand that. It's more contextual than uh, carbon emissions. Carbon emissions, we know across the board, we should be emitting less. Yeah. So one thing that we found to be really valuable is uh, using occupant surveys. So things like a tenant satisfaction survey that can dig into what the specific population that that building or portfolio of buildings is, is reaching, what they need and what uh, is going to resonate most. One example of sort of how we've, We've done this as we worked with our partner QuadRail out of Canada and they had a portfolio of buildings. They wanted to understand uh, how what they were doing with FitWell was impacting their outcomes when it came to tenant satisfaction. So we were able to benchmark 60 of their properties, pair that with uh, tenant satisfaction data that they had pulled from that same six, those same 60 properties and see where the associations were as far as what what strategies were having the the strongest impact on the on the tenant satisfaction outcomes. So that is an approach that we want to continue to replicate, continue to uh, push the sector in that direction because that's where we really see this opportunity to bring together health and that financial material um, risk piece. Uh, there is a connection, we want to continue to show that connection, and this is sort of how we see that happening.
0: That's great. I mean, it it sounds like it's a great platform for basically turning these things that are on a spectrum into metrics, and and the benchmarking is a great example of, of, um, of, of that being applied within a portfolio, and then you could imagine multiple portfolios doing that and comparing them with each other, and how much how much rich data there would be in that. Um, Cause then you'd have, you know, quadrille and someone else that have similar buildings in the same place that are getting different numbers for these different things. And you could begin to uh, really have a rich database of information um, that would inform everyone's kind of decision-making um, and improve, you know, outcomes for, for everyone, everyone involved. This has been great. What is next uh, for Sarah this year? What are you, what are you looking forward to? Um, in the next few months?
1: You no, know, we we got a dog a few months ago, so that's <laughs> been taking up a lot of our time, lots of time in the park. It's finally cool yep. in New York City, yep. so taking advantage of that is definitely on my, on my goals for the rest of the summer.
0: Mental wellness. <laughs> exactly. Sounds like you're practicing what you preach. <laughs> I try. Uh, Sarah, this has been great. Thank you so much for uh, joining us at Radio BX.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.